Welcome to the Mama Safe Hit Podcast, Birth Story Friday. In this episode, Trish will be sharing her three birth stories. Her first birth was an unplanned C-section after several hours of pushing. Trish knew that she wanted a VBAC or a vaginal birth after C-section for her next birth, and she wanted the best chance for that. So she switched providers and focused on her physical preparation for birth. In her second birth, she had an induction after her water broke with no contractions, and then she ended up opting for an epidural, and then she did have a VBAC. For her third birth, Trish had moved and switched providers again, and then had a faster, unexpectedly, unmedicated birth with a lot more mental preparation. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama Say Fit podcast. Before we listen to Trisha's birth stories, let's talk about how Mama Say Fit can support your birth preparation. Mama Safe Fit offers prenatal fitness programming, pelvic floor preparation course, and childbirth education. Our fitness programs focus on keeping you strong throughout your pregnancy with strength exercises and modifications designed to keep you comfortable and safe throughout your lifts. Our program also focuses on keeping you comfortable throughout your pregnancy with pelvic stability and core exercises. Because we aren't just preparing for birth, we also want to be comfortable and pain-free throughout the 40-ish weeks of pregnancy. And our programming is going to help prepare you for birth with our pelvic opening exercises. You don't want to wait till birth to figure out that we have movement limitations that may be preventing us from opening our pelvis. And in our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education course, you'll learn what movements open each pelvic level, exercises that make these movement patterns easier, and ways to address common issues during both pregnancy and labor. Join our prenatal support programs at mamasayfit.com prenatal and use code STORY10 for 10% off all of our online courses. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. Today's birth story is from Trish, who's someone who I actually used to work with when I was in the Army. So thanks for being here, Trish. Absolutely. Great to see you, Gina, and great to be here with you guys today. Yeah, I'm really excited. So let's start with your first pregnancy. How was your pregnancy and how were you preparing for your first birth? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I knew what to expect with my first pregnancy, and I was very wrong. I was a little surprised with how my body was changing Resources like your, you know, prenatal resources and other people's were very helpful because it was a pretty smooth pregnancy. But, you know, one of those things where you look back years later and there's just so much you don't know. So I can say that now after having three kids, I was a little bit unprepared or or surprised, but everything went really well. I was very smooth. So let's dive into your first birth story. What happened during your labor? Sure. Yeah. So I was 10 days overdue with my daughter and I was ready to get her moving, ready to get her out of there. We tried all of the tricks. My father-in-law is a physician, so he does acupuncture on the side. He tried acupuncture. We tried a lot of the other things. And ultimately, um, I went on a walk that was way too long. It was about seven miles or so. <laughs> I remember calling. So you dehydrated yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I remember calling my husband and saying, I'm alive. I'm okay. I stopped at 7-Eleven. I'll be fine. 
But that was, unfortunately, looking back, that was how things kicked off. And then positioning-wise, this might make you cringe, so apologize to all the listeners, too. I remember laying down on my back like, oh, I think this is starting. You know, so all these things that now you look back and you say, okay, probably not the best way to go into labor. So a long prodromal labor, lots of, I think it was several days, I was not progressing. You know, I called, they even swept my membranes. I was still hard, closed, nothing was happening, but I was experiencing contraction. So ultimately, you know, it took several days. We joke that my first labor was the length of five seasons of the office because <laughs> I remember sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally, on a Friday night, I went into the hospital and I'd progressed enough that, or I thought I'd lost my waters, and or I wasn't sure if it was the mucus plug or the water. And so they went to go check, they did some tests. And by the time they came back, I'd progressed to a four, I think. And so spontaneous rupture of labors. I did opt for an epidural that time. By six in the morning, I thought it was going to happen. They said, we're going to have a baby in a couple of hours. I was feeling like things were going in the right direction. Several hours later, my physician told me, my OB said she needed to go to her baby shower. So unfortunately, I was going to need to start pushing. I was basically on the clock. And she said, we've got two hours. <laughs> and unfortunately, if I'm not able to be with you, or if, if we don't have a baby by that point, the on-call physician will be there for the delivery. So again, one of those things you look back, I think my daughter was not engaged in a way that I think we did a lot of, a lot of work for nothing because she was not in the right position. I think she wasn't engaged. I don't know exactly what was going on, but after two hours, she had to go the physician who came to replace her gave me a little bit more time, but ultimately it had been days at this point. She was starting to exhibit some, I guess, some signs of distress. At some point, I developed an infection and they believed she did too. So he said, you have 15 minutes. <laughs> and if not, we're going in and we're taking her out. That resulted in an unplanned C-section. She was healthy. Everything is fine. The nurses had to push her back up to take her out. So I think we got part of the way there, but she kind of came out looking like a prize fighter. So it was a, it was a wild time, not a lot of productive. <laughs> I think looking back, there's a lot of ways I could have made that go smoother. But yeah, that was, that was kind of the first experience. So how did you feel after that birth? I remember when my physician came in and she was talking to me about how everything went and I just burst into tears because I felt like I failed, you know, all of those, I think, probably classic things. I, I just felt like it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And, and I wasn't sure why at that point. And so I remember my mother-in-law telling me that it was okay to, to not feel okay with, with the way things went. My husband had arrived via forceps delivery and she had been unhappy with that. And she just, I remember her saying that, and that helped me tremendously um, because I wasn't comfortable with the way that went. And I felt a little frustrated with the fact that I was told I was on the clock for something like this. I knew I wanted something different if we were to have kids in the future. I came back to my doctor. I talked to her about it. I asked for the op notes. I wanted to understand what my chances were for a VBAC going forward. And that was when she said, she's like, well, you know, looking at the op note, it looks like you might just have too small of a pelvis. You have a prominent sacrum. 
you know, this may just be one of those things that that's how you deliver babies. <laughs> I never understand when people make statements like, like, do you know what that means? Like, do you know what prominent sacrum means? Like, <laughs> so people will like providers will say phrases like this. where they're like, you have a really prominent pubic bone. And it's like, yeah, OK, like, but they don't explain what that means or like what we can do to overcome it. They're just like, here's a fact, a fun <laughs> fact about your body. And then it's like. Right. All that did was make me scared and made me like disbelieve or not believe in myself to give birth. But there is always like prominent something. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I kind of tried to follow up and she was just she was uninterested in going further. You know, it was it was an inconvenience to go further in detail. And I happened to, I didn't realize at the time I was pregnant with my next child at the time. <laughs> Surprise. So how did you prepare for your second pregnancy and how was it different from your first? Sure. Yeah. So for starters, I did take a hard look at facilities and providers and how I wanted to go about it. Fantastic practice, but I ultimately ended up changing just because of all we've talked about. And I wanted to set myself up for the best chance for a VBAC. Um, so I changed providers I, from the very beginning I think I did a better job of staying mobile, like just keeping positioning in mind earlier than before. I did prenatal chiropractic or I had prenatal chiropractic care, you know, just a lot of different things to try to make sure that I, I didn't have a situation where if anything changed and I did have another unplanned C-section, there wasn't a part of me that was curious on whether I could have changed anything. Yeah, I joined the VBAC resources group. I hired a doula, but this was in the like weird sort of COVID era where it was like a telephonic doula situation and they weren't authorized to come in yet. Yeah, that was for my son. It was like that. That's why we had we switched to home birth because they were like, you can have maybe one person. And I was like, I don't like those odds. I don't like I got a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm trying to have a party here. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. <laughs> so tell me about your second birth. How how did that go in comparison to the first? Sure. Yeah. So my water broke early in the morning. I'd actually done spinning babies the night before. One of the full white things that I didn't usually feel like I had time for. Our home had flooded in the Texas, what do they call it? The ice apocalypse, the freeze. So we were actually in a very small Airbnb at the time. Yeah, I, it was one of those things where I was, I, one of the things I made sure they had were sheet protector <laughs> and good thing because my water did break uh, really early in the morning. My physician was very evidence-based, but he did want me to come in just because I hadn't had a successful vaginal birth at that point. So he did have me come in, um, which I found out since then, there are multiple schools of thought. But, you know, they did, they did induce because I wasn't I didn't have any contractions. I had labor had not started, but I had lost my water. So we did the double Foley or the double balloon Foley and Pitocin, which was aggressive. You know, it was, I, I think a nurse told me she thinks it was probably developed by a man, but it was very effective. <laughs> so, so it progressed quickly and then they were very patient. I, I think one of the, it was a testament to the, to the whole team there because they just kind of made sure everything it was everything felt smooth. It was a relatively peaceful birth. I did I did ultimately opt for an epidural on that one as well. Telephonic doula only got me so far. And then I was at that <laughs> at that point where I put her on mute and I told my husband, I think I'm ready. I'm at that point. So I did I did labor down a little bit and and half of it didn't work. So I, I feel like 
that is my introduction to natural birth. So I was like, okay, I can do this. Half of me is feeling this, half of me is not. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I'm halfway there. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So with him, he was eight pounds, 14 ounces. So he's my largest baby. He had shoulder dystocia on the way out a little bit, but a testament to the whole team again. I didn't know any better. All I knew was the the cues they were giving me that I could, you know, the mirror, I could see him. Everything was going in the right direction. You know, after birth, he was successfully delivered. He did have a broken clavicle, like on his own spontaneously. My physician didn't have to do anything. But my husband said there was a lot going on there. It was like the analogy of the duck, where to me, everything was smooth sailing. I felt it felt great. And he's this like the, the feet are paddling wildly. So he was doing a lot. <laughs> I don't know what. He, he arrived same day within 12 hours um, and healthy uh, besides the the broken clavicle and, and a bit jaundice. My kids do come out looking like prize fighters. So prominent sacrum or not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you feel after this birth in comparison to the first? I felt I felt great. I was, you know, I felt a little guilty, like, well, maybe maybe I was the reason for his his poor little shoulder, but no, <laughs> it was it was Catholic guilt. I don't know. It was I felt great about it. So very much at peace. I felt in control. I felt empowered. I felt informed along the way. Any decision that was made, I was a part of that. And so just night and day from my my previous experience. So how did you feel about being told that your pelvis was too small and then had a baby that was larger emerge from your body? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. My daughter was seven, nine. And, and to be able to help or successfully deliver an eight pound, 14 ounce baby, my OB, he was pretty triumphant about that as well. We were we were excited to have proved them wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to like how baby aligns to the pelvis too and whether or not they are going to successfully fit through it for a vaginal birth. Yeah. It is more than just how big is the baby, like their head positioning plays a big role in comparison to the pelvic level. Plus, if they ch tuck their chin, sure. like the crown of the head is much smaller and molds a lot easier than if baby was deflexed or even extended. And so there's so much to how babies go to fit through the pelvis other than like how big they are. Because obviously bigger babies fit through, quote unquote, two small pelvises. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> More fun facts about my body. Thank you. <laughs> so how was your third birth? I, I get really excited when people have more than two kids. I'm, I'm a big advocate for Love it. lots of children. Um, I have people want them, but it always excites me when I'm like, <laughs> yes, somebody else has joined right. my team That's of right. three and more. <laughs> so how was your third pregnancy? Well, you know, we had a move in between. We moved cities. My third pregnancy was, was great. I, I think my chiropractor joked that most of the women she knows, they, they move sometime between their second and third trimester, and she doesn't know why, and she'd like to conduct a study on that, but there has to be something going on there. So I actually went to my old provider for way longer than I should have because I just, the amount of trust I placed in him um, and the team at that facility was so high. But other than that, I felt confident in this in this pregnancy. Again, tried to stay, well, I guess having two kids, you know, you stay active, <laughs> you're chasing after them, even even unintentionally, but tried to stay active, continued chiropractic care. And then when I finally realized I didn't want to have the baby in a Bucky's on the way up to my old doctor traveling from Austin to Dallas, I realized I needed to be a grown up and find a new provider. I found I found the doula first, actually. So I, I worked backwards, I guess. 
I knew I wanted a VBAC again. I'd heard that Austin was less VBAC friendly than Dallas was for whatever reason. So I went with her recommendations, found the provider that way, uh, found the facility that way, uh, continued to prepare in the other ways as well with your courses, with, um, you know, a coworker, a colleague from college as well, who, who does some, some prenatal stuff and just really went into it. Actually, you know what? I did a hypnobirthing as well at this doula's recommendation. So it sounds so hokey. My, my husband joked that it should be called like performance birthing instead. But <laughs> I realized how I, much I even, I, I thought I was really well prepared mentally for my previous births, but I realized that there was so much more to learn. And so I did a lot of preparation with that too, where you listen to the the, the tracks at night, like um, relaxation tracks. And, and, I, and I worked on, I guess, my mental headspace this time around. Yeah. Because um, I, I felt comfortable and confident with the physical. The mental aspect, I think, is where a lot of people have more struggles with because it's easy to do the workouts. Like, yeah, I'm just going to do three rounds of 10 of these exercises. Like, that's easy, especially for folks like us, like veterans. Like, right. So you're just <laughs> give me give me the physical things to do. Uh-huh. And then we're like, but meditate. You're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Pick a color. <laughs> yeah. How do I... <laughs> How do exactly. I do that? And hypno hypno babies and hypno birthing is a um, is a condition relaxation response. So it's, there's a commitment involved. Like you have to do it a lot for it to work for you in birth. Yeah. And for my first birth, I tried some of the hypno birthing stuff, and I would listen to it when I would fall asleep. And I never made it to the colors, so I never knew why they called it rainbow relaxation. Yes. Until somebody was like, "Which is your favorite color?" And I'm like. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, <laughs> and so I listened to it one day when I like was moving and I was like, oh, they, they have, there's, that's why it's rainbow relaxation. There's yeah. red room and a yellow room. <laughs> like <laughs> I never made it there before I fell asleep, but maybe my subconscious knew. <laughs> I don't know. It was a great, it was a very effective sleep tool for you. So no pregnancy insomnia for you. <laughs> no, I was out. I was like, I guess it was like the first word. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> something soothing about her voice. <laughs> So how was your third birth? So you found a great provider. You were doing a lot more mental preparation. Yeah, I had a really, really great experience. So different. What I've known historically, and maybe that was just an assumption. I Historically, I, I said I tend to have long labors. I'd like to labor at home. I've never really gotten the chance to do that. I expected it to stall out once labor began. You know, I had some early labor really relaxed. Our kids are four and two. So there's a lot of sleep issues, basically, when it's not a linear thing. You know, you think that kids are going to sleep through the night and they're not. So I remember early labor starting when I was with my my two-year-old son, kind of like helping him when he woke up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And the next couple of days, we'll have a baby. A couple hours before things started to really ramp up, uh, we were actually at the pool and I was just walking around, just, you know, laboring. I was not in the pool but I was just walking around. I was like, this is actually, this is accelerating a little faster than I thought. <laughs> so I was, well, I was wrong. But um, at one point I was in the shower and I asked my husband to press the timer, like the contraction timer. And he looked at it and he said, have you been watching this? Because you are, it's every two minutes. And I had not, I had not realized that. So we ended up kind of trying to get out of the house a little bit faster, but I was, I, I did have him put on the TENS unit before then, so it did take us some time to get out of the house. But basically, my labor was much faster. While it was more comfortable than I expected it to be, it did go faster than I expected as well. So I listened to the hypnobirthing tracks. 
I had the TENS unit on. I used my birthing ball. At one point, I think my husband was afraid we were going to have a car baby after he saw those contraction times. <laughs> I had texted my doula. Later, she said, why were you being so nonchalant? Like, you, you were way further along than I expected you to be. And and it was just because historically, I guess I had slow labors and I expected it to stall out. So made it to the hospital uh, right as she got to the hospital, which was amazing. I had a baby within an hour and 10 minutes. So I, I got upstairs. My water broke almost immediately in kind of a dramatic theatric fashion, <laughs> you know, splattering all over the all over the bed. And everybody's like, OK, this is great. The team was amazing. They were a little bit concerned about the shoulder dystocia. That was about the only time that it was a little distracting, but my doula was amazing. She, you know, had them turn off the lights, do all the things, uh, kind of get it set up in the way that we talked about and we prepared for. And they checked me and I was already complete. And so they, you know, I was, I one, I was proud of that because I didn't, you know, we talked about the mental piece, you know, that was kind of half the battle. I would get to a certain point and be like, I want to do this, but there's, you know, quote unquote, there's no gold star for for doing it another way or special way, or whatever. So I was excited about that. I think the TENS unit really helped me get to that point and, and kind of helped me through that mental game, as did the, the hypnobirthing tracks. But then from a physical piece, he needed a little bit of help to kind of get, get to a better station uh, before I could really start pushing. And that was, again, where my doula came in with such a great suggestion. She suggested the squat bar. And it only took three rounds of pushing while using the squat bar to get him in a better position to where we could start seeing the head. We were really in business. So that was that was amazing. That was it was a little bit strange because I didn't know what you did in between, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Yes, yes. yes. They were all like, you could sit down in between. And I, I was like, isn't that kind of counterproductive? I, I don't know what to do here. So <laughs> I just kind of awkwardly stood over everybody on standing on the bed. So I think they probably thought I was a weirdo. But but yeah, it was it was it was empowering. It was uh, fast. It was different than I expected. I was able to move more. We spent a lot of time on my hands and knees in this in this particular case. And yeah, he was he was born within an hour and a half of arriving at the hospital. So it was it was great. I guess I kind of felt like birth plans in the past from our previous life, nothing survives first contact. <laughs> so I felt a little foolish putting together a birth plan when I was just hoping for a healthy baby. But I realized the utility of that, you know, because when it came down to it, we used olive oil and I didn't tear. And, you know, I had an intramuscular Pitocin postpartum. I felt even more in control over the decisions for my baby after after delivery. So amazing. <laughs> yeah, I find birth plans are not necessarily like this is what I want to happen, but rather an opportunity for you to kind of go through your options to figure out your preferences and like different situations. So I almost view them as kind of like a decision map where it's like, if this thing happens, these are my courses of action that I would like to take. And so it allows, it gives you an opportunity to like educate yourself right. on what your options are and what your preferences are so that when we are in those kind of decision points, right, you already kind of know what you want and you're not like relying on everyone else to like give you all the information. So that's where I find birth plans to be really beneficial as opposed to 
these four things will happen in this exact order, in this yeah. exact way. Like, <laughs> exactly. that's, that's not realistic. That makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, so how did you feel after this birth? So you didn't get a gold star. I did but not. But you had an unmedicated birth, <laughs> yes. which is still, I think, its own right. experience. So how how was it? Well, it was great. I think I, I did realize that I wanted to do it for me. Again, like type A person, gymnast in a former life. We enjoy pain quite a bit, but uh, not to say I enjoyed it, but it was... I felt really good about it. I felt like this is really powerful thing emotionally. I, I'd already felt a part of a sisterhood, but it was it was kind of it sounds so hokey, but I did I did really feel like that that it was it kind of added this this empowering element to my birth. So I really I really enjoy again is the wrong word, <laughs> but I felt really good about it. I felt good about the decisions that we made. I think my husband would like to probably camp out at the hospital next time if we were to, because I think he was a little nervous. He'll get weather tech mats for uh, for next time, <laughs> just in case. But to know that to know that I'm capable of doing it again, you know, someone with one of those pesky prominent sacrums and a small pelvis, you know, you're able to do it. People have always said, you know, your body's made to do this kind of thing. But I think I didn't necessarily believe it until several times later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard when you have people that are, again, commenting helpful facts about your body uh, <laughs> where it's like, well, right. how how are we supposed to feel confident that like our bodies were made for this and all of that? But right. Yes. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> would you do it again? Would you have an unmedicated birth again if you guys decide to have four? You know what? I actually said that recently that I said I would be I would be on board to do that. And John was like, wait a minute. We looked down at my son and he was like, already? Are you are you sure? <laughs> my recovery was easier this time. Again, I don't know if that's don't know if that's Medicaid. I've never had a bad reaction to an epidural. I've always, you know, I've always felt like I've been in good hands. So maybe it was just multiple vaginal births or I don't know what the variables are, but I felt great. And I, I guess I did tear. I had a small tear with my second born, uh, Rory, but uh, and no tear this time. So maybe that is the element. Maybe that's the difference. I healed much faster this time around. So I'm like ready to go. If it wasn't 110 degrees in Texas, I'd be like, let's do this thing. <laughs> I know you got to time it for where it's like nice weather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can not dehydrate yourself on a that's seven month walk. I would not recommend, what is it, 10 out of 10 would not recommend going too far on a walk and letting dehydration kickstart your labor. <laughs> if that's the only takeaway you, you get from this conversation, don't do it. <laughs> not the induction method that we are condoning. Exactly. <laughs> like, do not, do the opposite of that. Stay in your AC and just wait for labor. Yes. <laughs> that is not an old wives tale. That is just straight foolish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Trish, for sharing your three birth stories with of us, course. especially having had the history of someone telling you that your pelvis was yeah. just way too small to ever have a baby fit through it. And then to have bigger babies <laughs> somehow manage That's right. to just cram their way through your tiny, prominent sacrum is amazing. And I know a lot of our listeners will be really excited to hear that it is possible to still have the type of birth that you want and to feel empowered in the decisions that you make. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do, because it really has made a difference in the birth of my kids. I'm excited for women out there who benefit from it. And congrats to Roxanne. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I will, I will let her know that you congratulated her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. My name's Laura, and I highly recommend Mama Stay Fit's prenatal and postpartum fitness programs. 
I followed Mama Stay Fit's prenatal fitness program during both of my pregnancies, and I'm certain that it played a major role in my ability to feel healthy, strong, and pain-free during a time that is otherwise really overwhelming, confusing, and uncomfortable for so many of us. I knew how to best move and support my body and my baby during pregnancy and birth, and I attribute having the stamina to power through both of my labors and deliveries to the work I did with the Mama Stay Fit prenatal fitness programming. I've also really loved reconnecting with my body and continuing to feel strong in the postpartum stage of life with Mama Stay Fit's postpartum return to fitness program, which is perfectly scaffolded for returning to a feeling of strength and confidence while honoring the proper recovery process for a body that has undergone massive changes in order to grow my sweet little babies. Both my midwife and pelvic floor PT have repeatedly commented on the amount of knowledge and connection I have about my body and what it needs in the postpartum, and I am ecstatic to say that the road to recovery has felt very clear and attainable thanks to Mama Stay Fit's fitness programming. I am super grateful to Gina and Roxanne for the immense amount of expertise they share in their courses and programs, and if you are pregnant, trying to conceive, or navigating the postpartum in what feels like a new body, I highly, highly recommend you check out Mama Stay Fit's perinatal fitness programs. So in Trisha's story, she mentions that her provider told her that the reason for her C-section was that her pelvis was just too small for a vaginal birth. And then she went on to have a VBAC with a larger baby. And this tends to be a trend with my VBAC clients. It's almost like the universe is laughing at somebody who can make such an outlandish statement is that their next baby will just be significantly larger than their C-section baby. And so commentary in general about the pelvic size is really unhelpful. Likely your pelvis is not too small for a vaginal birth, and it's likely big enough for your baby to pass through. You know, there are some circumstances that could affect your pelvic development, which then could actually mean that your pelvis is too small, such as childhood illness that affected your pelvic development, a injury to your pelvis, such as like an accident where it had to be like restructured or joints refused, or if your baby has like gestational diabetes, so like the baby is too big. So those are some instances where your pelvis could legitimately not be made for a vaginal birth. But in general, the pelvis is very dynamic. It can change shape. It can create more space. Your baby's skull can mold and change shape to fit through the pelvis. And so if your baby wants to be born vaginally, they can be because your pelvis is big enough and your baby is small enough to fit through your pelvis. And so comments that are saying, hey, you have a really prominent insert random pelvic anatomy here, doesn't really mean anything to the average person. It doesn't give you anything to then take action from. Like, what are you supposed to do with that information of you have a really prominent sacrum or your tailbone is whatever? Like, there's nothing that you can do with that information. And all it's really going to do is probably scare you or make you believe that your baby's never going to come out that way. And so when you hear statements like that, just know that your pelvis is very dynamic. Even with prominent insert whatever pelvic anatomy here, your pelvis will still change shape. And at the top of the pelvis is going to open more with that external rotation of the femur, so wide knee type movements with that pelvic tilting. So those movement patterns are going to increase the pelvic diameters. And so we want to ensure that we have the ability to create all of those different movements, that we can find those different movement patterns. And that's a big thing that we can incorporate into like our prenatal fitness routine. Can I find external rotation? Can I arch in my back? And can I tuck my butt underneath? For most of us, the tucking the butt underneath will be the more challenging movement pattern just based on our common tendencies during pregnancy. The next level of the pelvis is the mid-pelvis. And so this is where baby's going to rotate through the pelvis. And we're looking to have a lot of asymmetrical type movement patterns. So one leg is doing external rotation and the other leg is doing internal rotation. So baby's kind of rotating and rocking through this space with this differing movement patterns in each hip. 
And then the bottom of the pelvis is going to be open more with internal rotation of the femurs or knees and ankles out. And then a very slight posterior pelvic tilt. Now, we're not trying to totally round the butt underneath, but a little bit of a tuck helps us find more internal rotation and create more of that space. And it's also going to help allow the sacrum to move a little bit out of the way. And so we can see that we have a lot of different movement patterns that we can do that are all going to create very different types of opening within the pelvis. And so in our childbirth education course, we're going to break down what type of movement to do based on where baby is within your pelvis, what those movements even look like. And then in our prenatal fitness programs, we're incorporating things that we can do during pregnancy to help prepare to open the pelvis for birth because we don't want to wait until birth to realize that we have a movement limitation. And there's no reason why that you couldn't overcome any sort of movement limitation during your pregnancy. And so if we're having pelvic floor tension or pelvic floor issues, working with pelvic floor physical therapists or occupational therapists or chiropractors or massage therapists to help release that tension can be super helpful. But there's a lot of prep that can be involved with ensuring that we have the different movement patterns. During pregnancy, typically the external rotation is pretty easy to do. Arching in the back tends to be pretty easy to do. But once we start to go to the opposite is where we start having those issues. So tucking the butt underneath is really hard. If we can't tuck our butt underneath, it can sometimes be a little hard for baby to enter into the pelvis because that creates more space in the top of the pelvis. And then as baby is rotating, sometimes it's hard for them to finish the rotation because we can't find internal rotation of the femurs. And so these are the type of movements that we're going to be incorporating into the Mama Safe Fit Birth Prep Circuit, which is a free circuit that you can have access to. It's on our YouTube channel and we'll link in the show notes the PDF so that you can download it as well. But this circuit is going to include things to release the uterine ligaments, which is going to help baby's position. We're also going to release the muscles that potentially are pulling the pelvis into more of that anterior position. And then it's going to include exercises that are going to release the back and the hip flexors and quads to make it easier for you to tuck your butt underneath. And then exercises that are going to help you find more of that internal rotation. And so folks have been doing our birth prep circuit and they've really been enjoying it because it's incorporating the movement patterns that tend to be harder for us to find during pregnancy that can then be more problematic during birth. And so if you want to learn more about how to open the pelvis, what labor positions to even do, check out that free PDF. And then also check out our online courses. We also have other podcast episodes where we break down how to open the pelvis and different movements to do to create more space in the pelvis. So we have tons of free content to support you. If you want to dive deeper into it, join our online courses, Childbirth Ed, Prenatal Fitness. We're happy to support you there. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education course. If you want more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness trainer courses so you can learn from us and earn a CEUs. Explore all of our courses on our website at mamasafefit.com and use code STORY10 to save 10% off all of our programs. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our podcast to be notified when we release new episodes, leave a review, and share with your friends. We release new educational episodes every Wednesday and new birth stories every Friday. 